Hands for a quick episode this week. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Welcome, one and all, to episode 399 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and this week I'm joined by Santi. Hi there. And that's it. Um, <laughs> I, I, sent, I sent the email out at, at quite short notice this week because I didn't know whether I was going to have time to record at all this evening. Uh, as it is, I, I think I've got time to record a quick one. And we are doing this largely because... Uh, as you'll know, if you listen to the last episode, the group stages of the group stage singular of the uh, Copa de la Liga ended at the weekend. And this weekend coming, we have the knockout um, stage beginning, which I'm just looking at my phone now and panicking slightly because I've just realized that the fixtures for the knockout stage aren't showing up. So I'm going to have to switch uh, apps at some point to find those. But anyway, the results from the weekend just gone were... Godoy Cruz nil, Banfield one, Atletico Tucumán five, Defensa y Justicia nil, Gimnasia nil, Vélez five, Patronato one, Boca nil, Arsenal one, Central Córdoba one, Argentinos two, Estudiantes nil, Platense four, Rosario Central one, Racing two, San Lorenzo nil, River four, Aldo Civi one, Colón 1, Unión 1, Lanús 1, Tacheres 0, Huracán 1, Independiente 3, and Newells 1, Sarmiento 1. Um, plenty of interesting results to, uh, to look at there, but first of all, I'll give you the standings because, as I said, the group stage is over, and that means that um, the top four in each group are in Group A, Colón, with 25 points, Estudiantes finished with 22. River and Racing have 21 each, as do San Lorenzo. But San Lorenzo miss out on goal difference. That 2-0 win for Racing uh, meant that Racing finished with a goal difference of plus two and San Lorenzo finished with a goal difference of zero. Um, I didn't actually look into whether the next tiebreaker down was goals scored, but I'm assuming it is, in which case if Racing had won that match 1-0, San Lorenzo would have finished fourth on goals scored because they'd have both had goal difference at a plus one. Um, But San Lorenzo would have had uh, 16 goals, four, compared with Racing's 14. Anyway, so that's Colón, Estudiantes, River and Racing from Group A. And in Group B, the teams who qualified are Vélez in first place with 31 points. Boca with 22, Independiente and Tacheres with 20 each, Independiente third, Tacheres fourth. Um, just in case you're curious, the two worst teams in each group were Aldo Civi in Group A um, and Newells in Group B. Um, it's actually funny to, to, to say that uh, Aldo Civi was dead last in, in their own group because, I mean, if you... If you actually heard from most of the people who 
watched uh, Aldo Siri play under Gago, they would say that they, they have a, such a such a fluid and uh, easy on the eye style of play. But uh, I mean, I mean, it's granted it's Aldo Siri, but he could hardly have anything to show for it. No, indeed. Um, including us earlier in the season, we were bigging them up at, at, at the start of the season. Um, and that's proved rather unfortunate. I think the, the, the issue really is that they leave themselves quite wide open um, as, yeah, it's, it's as, as, as was exploited in, in typically ruthless fashion by Reber, um exactly. at the weekend. I mean, that was a match which was... Was it 1-1 at half-time, or am I imagining this? Let's just... Yeah, I, 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 uh, was, I think... It was almost 1-1 at half-time. Or 1-1, yeah. Rafael Santos scored in first-half stoppage time to put Riva 2-1 up. Ah, cool. But it looked like it was going to be 1-1 at half-time. And Aldo Sibi actually started the second half, if I remember rightly, fairly promisingly. Yeah. But, yeah. I think the issues with Aldo Sibi are not exactly on the ball, but without it. Mm. Um, I mean, you you could see that uh, when they had the ball on their feet, they had a they were really, really, really quick to to move the ball forwards, and I think uh, that's amazing for for uh, for a big team, let alone Aldo Siri. But uh, yeah, I mean, the their off the ball movement and marking is extremely suspect. It is, yeah, and perhaps stamina as well. I mean, at the weekend, uh, Jose Paradela. I think it was his first goal for River since joining from Gimnasia. And Matias Suarez in stoppage time um, put the gloss on the scoreline for River. Um, but if you look at Aldo Sibi's other matches, they've, they've only got, I think it's two draws all season. Um, and a whole load of defeats and three wins. Um, which gives you the idea that, you know, that they're, they're letting slip points that could be picked up uh, by leaving themselves too open, by... Yeah, not pressing for it too much. I mean, it sounds like uh, Los are probably the Brighton of Fulham of of Argentine football at this point. Mm. Yeah, I think that that would be um, a, a fair comparison to make. Yeah, uh, their the, the scoreline that jumps out. I'm just going down all of their results from from the uh, the season, but the scoreline that jumps out is oh, hang on, actually, was that the uh, this was the previous Copa de la Liga. I think actually there were two there were two five nils in this uh, in this match week. Yeah. Um but no Aldo Sibi's scoreline that jumps out so far this year. I thought it was in this Copa Superliga uh, the Copa de la Liga but I think it it looks now like it's the last game of the previous one uh, in mid January. Was that 4-4 draw with Defensa y Justicia. Um but that was of course I think before Gago no, hadn't taken charge yet. Exactly, yeah. Um but no, since then it, it was it was a two-one defeat to Godoy Cruz. They had a two-two draw with Racing, and then beat Arsenal three-nil, which I think was when we came in and said, "Yeah, they're gonna gonna do really well." Um, and then they lost the next two matches against Colón and Central Cordoba, beat San Lorenzo, and then went on a run of four games without a win. And uh, I mean, run beating off. Beating San Lorenzo at this point is hardly a feat. No, and one win in the last seven. Um, I do think that if they if they can tighten up the defence I mean you know you could say this of literally any football team in the world couldn't you if they could tighten up their defence and they'd be better uh, but uh, goals aren't, aren't so much of a problem for them they, they, they outscored one two three four five they outscored six of the other teams in their group including Racing who qualified for the quarterfinals 
Um, so it's very much defence that, that was Aldo Sibi's issue. It'll be interesting to see what they can do in this uh, off-season, which is going to be longer for them than for the, the teams who've gone through, obviously. As you say, two 5-0 wins, and they both came on the same afternoon. Um, Atletico Tucumán beating Defensa y Justicia in Tucumán, and uh, Vélez, who are currently 1-0 up against Liga de Quito in the Libertadores with half an hour to go, uh, got a 5-0 win away to Gimnasia. Did you catch either of these, Santi? I'm not sure. What what I will say, though, is that um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that Atletico Tucumán had a chance of sneaking into the the top four in the in the final match, which, which makes it a little bit startling that they were forced to play before all of the rivals. Hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's no coincidence. I think that the two five nils in the in the in this in this match week are coming from a couple of games which had little to no uh, incidents in the in the final standings where it matters at least. Yes, indeed. Yeah, Atletico Tucumán had a slim chance, I think, just looking at the um, at the maths. And Lanús finished above them having beaten Tacheres. Independiente, of course, won and finished two points above Atletico Tucumán. Union drew and finished one point above. So, yeah, if Atletico Tucumán had won and uh, Lanús played Not all of their, Tacheres, all of their rivals lost. Yeah, but Lanús played Tacheres. So, it could have been, if Colón had won the Clásico, which was a draw... Um, against Union and if Independiente had lost they'd be on 18 yeah I think they'd have scraped into fourth possibly they yeah, might get away they could make that work because of Independiente's abhorrent goal difference despite winning one game 6-0 yeah indeed yeah uh, Independiente as, as you said they've not well. In fact, it's a decent goal difference because of winning that game six 0 Because you finish, yeah, goal difference of plus six isn't um, too bad. It's it's not the the best in the world. It's not as good as Belis's ten or Boca's ten. In fact, in the same group, yeah, but um, it is highly inflated by that one game. Indeed, you take that yeah. away and uh, it it dissipates. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a little hard on Atletico Tucumán. And Vélez, as you said, uh, I mean, they had the Group 1 already. They, they won by an absolute mile. They finished nine points ahead of Boca um, in Group B. Uh, the only team in either group... Well, they were the only team in either group to win more than seven matches. Colón won Group A with seven wins. And they won 10, uh, which, you know, it, it, it's a bit tricky to work these things out when, apart from the Clásicos and the, the intergroup matches, nobody's played any of the teams in the other group. But you'd think that that makes Vélez the team to beat in the knockout stage, wouldn't you? I mean, Vélez do not have a Pulga Rodriguez in their squad. True. That is, I mean, that is always a factor, I think, uh, when assessing when assessing Colón in this case. But I will say that... Um, well, Vélez have really, really uh, upped the game. I think from the um, from the their previous performance, where they they failed in a group stage. Granted, it was a it was a really tough group in the in the first group stage of the of the Copa Maradona to eventually win the. I think not. I don't think they won. I think they lost the to Banfield in the in that final for the Sudamericana spot. If I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, they did. Uh, three. 
nil, three one, something like that. Yeah, but overall, I think they really. Um, I mean, three they really two. Stepped up. Sorry, three two. Oh yeah, it was it was closer than we thought. <laughs> yeah, I think they really stepped up ever, ever since um, Pellegrino has. Uh, I think they really found found their their footing. They found uh, uh, someone like really really good to associate with uh, with Alma uh, in Luca Orellano, who is like just the next uh, the next brilliant brilliant youth product of Ellis, which seems to be like a like a um, what's the name of this? I, I can add. Um, Assess him. Uh, can, I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, like, Can't take his curse by any chance? Yeah, probably. Well, let, let's yeah. keep it. Let's keep it. It's just it's another it. one of the, just one of a long line of brilliant Vélez uh, youth products. Which well, yeah, or or potentially players who look brilliant at Vélez and sort of struggle to to catch fire a little bit when when they go elsewhere. Yeah, maybe it's just a testament of how good a manager Pelino is for. Argentine football. Mm. No, they found a really nice time. balance. I agree. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it is between Vélez and Colón. I mean, it makes sense because you you could argue that Vélez have probably the best attack and Colón have the best defense in in the league. Yeah, I think that would be fairly difficult to argue against. I mean, Colón, you, you could make a case for Estudiantes as well. Although, of course, the fact that Colón beat Estudiantes uh, fairly comfortably, 2-0 if I remember rightly. Yeah. And could have I, mean, been a I, think, I think the, um, the stats say that Independiente, I think, are the, the, the team that's, uh, that's considered the, le- the least goals in both in, in between both groups, but I wouldn't say Independiente have the best defence in, in the league. No, and it's, it's a tricky one because... Inde- so Independiente, I'm just looking at it now, Independiente, Colón and Estudiantes all conceded 10 goals. Um, but there just seem to have been... So I think, you know, one argument for giving it to Independiente is that there seem to have been just fewer goals generally in Group A, in Colón and Estudiantes' group. Because um, in Group A, you've got Colón conceded 10, Estudiantes conceded 10, River conceded 11, Racing conceded 12, Banfield conceded 12, Argentinos only conceded 11. And in Group B, um, as you said, Independiente 10, but then the other best defences are Bocola in 12, Velasquez in 13, Union let in 14 and everybody else scanning down is a little bit tricky to tell, but everybody else let in 16 or more. Um, and obviously, correspondingly, the, the goals scored columns tend to be rather higher as well. You've got, I mean, Atletico Tucumán scored 24 goals and finished bang in the middle of that table. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe you're being too harsh on your own team, Sadi. Maybe Independiente's defence is, is significantly I mean, better than you think. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that's that's um, mostly associated with the uh, Falcioni style of play, but I wouldn't say it's exactly Falcioni's. Um, I mean, a proof that Falcioni's style is effective because I mean, uh, back in back during the game against uh, against Duracan, uh, Fernando Niembro, in in a rare moment of brilliance, I would say, he he mentioned a stat that really is boggling my mind ever since. It's living rent free in my head. Which is that Independiente are the least effective uh, team in 30 meter passes or more in the whole division with a 30% effectiveness, which means that Independiente aren't even aren't even able to to like launch counters with a with a long ball or just um, 
shot shoot their their players forward to to score, which which kind of means in a way that their their only tactic is to just concede the least uh, the least possible by just hoofing the ball away and just forgetting about everything else. But the truth is that Independiente are extremely vulnerable when when they have a when they have they have a cross from from a rival, which. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think out of the 10 goals that Independiente scored, I think about eight, even nine, have been headers or have been products of uh, a cross from a, from an opponent, which considered a penalty or considered a, mm. a goal from a header, or, which is, I, I mean, it proves that it's really, really easy to, to, to hurt Independiente if you know how to... How to get a ball in a box? I think another stat that uh, Niembro mentioned back then was that Independiente um, lost um, two out of every three duels in the air, which is also shocking. And it's kind of what you bring Falcioni for, which proves yeah. that maybe it's not isn't as effective as the numbers make it out to be. Yeah, you, you expect more solidity from one of his teams, in you know, stereotypically, don't you? And I, I wonder how much of it is is down to the pandemic is affecting, you know, every team in the world. Um, but I wonder whether it's affecting Independiente a little more than most because of the effect that it's had so directly on their coach. Um, you know, he's presumably not been able to take quite as much training as he would have been when he was younger and fitter and healthier and uh, and when there wasn't a global pandemic well, that not, attacks not people's that lungs in, in, in particular, you know, because he's got respiratory problems as it is. Um yeah, I, I think not, not all of it has been exactly because of the pandemic. At the moment, uh, Falcioni is unable to to coach the the team because I mean he had uh, a really a really difficult personal uh, situation to address. Mm. Yeah, sorry, something happened on the television on, in the in the Belles match. And I got um. No, sorry. Yeah, no, but I mean, just generally speaking, the you know the state of of his health, am I right in thinking that his that, that the personal situation has something to do with his wife's health as well? Yeah, um, I mean she, she passed away. Yeah, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day oh, before. I hadn't heard that. I'd, I'd, I'd heard that she was unwell. Um, but generally, it, it, it's going to, in terms of the on the pitch effects, um, that's that's going to have a knock on effect as well. In, uh, I, I would guess on on the team not being able to train as coherently and as uh, as regularly under the same, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, guidance and, and leadership. Um, yeah. And he also, agree. you know, the other thing is he, he is an older manager than he was 10, 20 years ago. Uh, his ideas are older. And maybe it's time to start looking at, at the fact that possibly a, a slightly younger and fresher coach might make more sense uh, to manage you know, the top level in Argentina. Um, yeah, this kind of goes back to a complaint that you won't remember, Santi, but in our very early episodes, Australian Dan in particular used to be quite vocal about it, of the idea that some, a lot of Argentine clubs hang on to old managers and, and the same managers end up getting passed around the same few jobs because it's a bit like an old boys club um, and nothing kind of changes as a result and there was a bit of kind of a stagnation. I mean, that's largely gone away Um in the sort of 10 years that have passed since, since those uh, rants were first recorded, it, it's, you know, much more of a 
young man's game in Argentina now management, but there are still, you know, one or two of these uh, older coaching figures around. And when you see, you know, stats like you've just mentioned for Independiente, uh, it makes you wonder whether they wouldn't be better off going with somebody. Not that they haven't gone with younger managers, you know, in, in, in the very recent history. Um, and actually, I remember that uh, Paulo Mojano uh, back in January when Independiente were just uh, they had just lost uh, Luca Pusineri, and uh, in that moment, in the in the meantime, between uh, when they were between managers, Paulo Mojano famously said that they were looking for a young attacking. Uh, replacement to keep with keep to to be in keeping with the with the profile that in the main they were carrying uh over the last uh, few years you know with uh, Almiron and Pellegrino and Holland mm. and well even Milito despite his failures and then they went on and hired a 64 year old who is uh who's just about uh, the the most defensive manager in the country so uh I don't know it's we all agree on this, but uh, sometimes decisions like lack any sort of reasoning, you know. And uh, I think uh, even despite the fact that Independiente somehow snuck, uh, have sneaked into the into the um, the, the, the the playoffs of, of this group, I mean, I, I still don't know how they did it uh, because the, the the final the final run that was was really really bad, but. Uh, I mean, based on the stats and based on the, the, the general discontent among independent supporters, which was uh, in, entirely expected because of the whole uh, Black Palette uh, mentality and stuff. But, um, I mean, I think everything is proving Mojano himself right, and it's a, it's a thing that I'm proving him wrong for betraying those uh, supposed principles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of Man United getting rid of Louis van Gaal, who'd been brought in to give youth a chance and to build medium to long term, to build a, an attacking young team based around the club's famous youth academy and then being replaced by Jose Mourinho, who doesn't like attacking football and doesn't like playing kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's for, pretty much for, for, for our listeners elsewhere who don't get the chance to watch as much Argentine football and, and are more familiar with some. Uh, more globally famous figures. That's the kind of difference we're talking about. Perhaps not quite to the same degree. I've got a lot more time for Falcioni than I have for Mourinho, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> now, if the other teams, I, I suppose we should look at, at what the actual, what the quarterfinal fixtures are. Um, these are all being played in single uh, one-off matches. So it's not home and away. Uh, it's quarterfinals this weekend. I believe semifinals the weekend after that. And then presumably the final a week after that. Um, although I'm not sure whether the dates have been fully confirmed just yet. Uh, but this Saturday uh, in... Oh, they're not... I thought they were in neutral stadiums, but I'm just looking now, and they are, in fact, in uh, the stadium of, by the look of it, the team who finished higher up their own group. So Estudiantes, who finished uh, second in Group A, are at home to Independiente, who finished third in Group B. Colum- that will be a handful for the neutral viewer, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that might not be the prettiest match in in, uh, in the world. Two of the best defences, as we've just uh, mentioned. Uh, two of the three best defences coming together. Uh, Colón 
hosting Tacheres, uh, first in Group A versus fourth in Group B. Uh, those are both on Saturday. On Sunday, Meles, uh, the winners of Group B, host Racing, fourth place in Group A. And if you've been paying close attention and you remember what we warned you about last week, then you'll know what's coming up, what that means. It means that on Sunday afternoon at half past five, Boca Juniors, who finished second in Group B, are hosting River Plate, who finished third in Group A in the oh second Super Clásico of 2021. Um, the second competitive one, I should say, of course. 2020 didn't see a single meeting between those two teams for the first time in the professional era. And in fact, for the first time, I suspect, but haven't yet been able to verify since about 1927. Um and we're going to have had two in the opening five months of this year. Um, Actually, uh, I think some, if I'm not mistaken, this will also be the fourth Super Clásico in a row to be held at La Bombonera. Really? Yeah. See, I can't remember back to the second half of 2019, though, so I'm just going to have to take your word for it. I think, uh, well, uh, you have to keep in mind the fact that... Um, oh, hang on, no, I don't, because... I've just realised the website I'm looking at has a has a list of their most recent meetings. So let me just bring that up. Yeah, go um, on. Sorry, carry on. Bear in mind that in 2019 they played at the semi-final of the of the Copa Libertadores, and the return leg was at La Guamonera. So that's where it started. Yes, because this is yeah okay. Sure, in domestic fixtures, um, there was one in the Monumental in September 2019. Um, in the Superliga 2019-20, and then the two since have been Boca. Yeah, but you're right. So there have been three, and this will be the fourth in a row, which is what you said, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well spotted. I hadn't noticed that. Uh, the two previous ones, in fact, the, the the three most recent domestic meetings have all ended in draws. Riber nil, Boca nil um, in that September 2019 meeting. Boca two, Riber two, in January this year, and ah, of course that was in the. So this is going to be the third Super Classico, in fact, of this year, not the second. Um, so January this year in the Copa Superliga or the Copa Diego Maradona. Um, that's just uh, no, sorry, not it wasn't the Copa Superliga, was it? It was the Copa de no, la Liga Profesional. The same as this one. But yeah, it was renamed the Copa Diego Maradona. I'm, I'm getting confused about when the Superliga branding came to an end. Um, that was the one on With the 2nd the of January this year. That finished 2-2. And then on the 14th of March this year um, was a 1-1 draw, also in the Bombonera, as, as you say, Santi. Um, this one's going to have to be won by somebody, by hook or by crook, because these are straight knockout games, aren't they? Is it, is it 90 minutes and then extra time and then penalties, or is it just 90 minutes and then penalties? Do you know? I am not so sure, but um, if I had to... Um, guide myself by just how things tend to work in South America I think uh, there's no extra time we don't like extra time in general no you don't do you I wonder why that is especially for neutral matches I think it could be quite fun but let's have a look and see whether actually I actually think uh, I actually like that idea of scrapping extra time because I mean most of the time not a lot happens in extra time to be honest yeah, see, I mean, I, I don't because I don't, I'm not a fan of, of kicks from the penalty spot as the way of deciding it. Because um, I just don't like shootouts, basically. I mean, you know, 
we all enjoy a shootout. They're fun to watch, but they're not really the best way of actually deciding who gets to advance to the next round of a football tournament, in my opinion. I think the Americans cracked it back in the 90s. But oh, uh, yeah. Trembling from the halfway line. Yeah, mm. that was great. I, I wish it would become mainstream some day, but uh, it seems like it was too ahead of its time. I think this is around the time that one of us is obliged to, to mention uh, that season when the Argentine League abolished draws sometime in the 1980s, was it? Another shootout after every <laughs> uh, after every draw. So was it to more than one more point or something? So both teams got one point for the draw and then the winner of the shootout got a point. Is that right? I think so, but uh, I think did... it was maybe 88 or 89. Yeah, that, that sounds and about there right. Were, and there were some shootouts that went on like forever for like 10, 20, 20 penalties apiece. Yeah, um, I've, I've discovered fairly recently, I don't know whether it's happening this season or not, but at least in my Football Manager 2020 um, career, that's happening in the... Um, oh God, it's the Football Manager, call it the one of the, the football league trophies or something, the one with the under 23 uh, Premier League. Oh, yeah, the, um, yeah, the, the, the football league trophy. Well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to find a link that doesn't force me to stop my ad blocker and that tells me exactly how these games are being, <laughs> um, are being decided in the event of a draw. Um, but don't you say don't mention it at all. They've just given us the dates and the fixtures. Let's see whether info value works. Uh, da, 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 da. There we go. Yeah. So if after 90 minutes it's a draw, the match will go straight to shots from kicks from the penalty spot, as they are properly called in English, because they're not penalties, because they're not punishing anybody for anything. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's in the rules of the game or the laws of the game, as pedants like to call them. Um, but anyway, of of the four matches this weekend, which are we most looking forward to? Uh, I mean, so full disclosure for listeners, if we do record next week, it's going to be largely whoever records with me telling me what happened because uh, I'm going to the coast this weekend with my girlfriend. We haven't had a holiday in a year and a half. Uh, so we're going for a few days to do all of the same things that we would be doing in Buenos Aires, i.e. sitting around reading, feeling quite Wait, cold. That means you're not, you're not going to be here for HOP 400. Oh, well, I will. HOP 400 isn't happening without me. So I'll, I'll definitely be on it. Um, but uh, we'll be doing all the things that we're doing in Buenos Aires, given all of the restrictions and things that we're not allowed to do. But we'll be doing them in a different place, which will feel much more relaxing as a result. Um, but one thing is that we're going to be doing it in a flat which doesn't have the baguette football. So I'm going to be looking for a cafe to try and watch Boca River. And I'm probably just going to be looking at the results of the other matches. Um, but I think, I mean, as you said, Estudiantes versus Independiente isn't going to be a thriller, let's face it. But I do think that, that Colón Tacheres is going to be an interesting clash of styles, given that Colón um, have got a very good defence, have got Luis Rodriguez and also some other very good attackers. And Tacheres just attempts to make up what they lack in defence with going balls out when they're going forward. Um, and Vélez Racing, I think, should be interesting as well. I mean, I'd definitely make Vélez very heavy favourites for it. Yeah, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun in the sense of how many goals can Belis score in ninety minutes. Yeah, but also you would expect at least that Racing are going to be a bit better rested because Belis are playing right now, uh, whereas Racing are going to have had a full 
now this is where you remind me that they're in the Sudamericana and I've completely forgotten about it, but I think they're going to have a full. Uh, Racing are in the Libertadores, in fact. Oh bloody hell! There we go. Yeah, I right. Think, I think they won. They won two 0 with a with a Piat with the Piatti scorcher from distance. Okay, and when was that? Was that on Tuesday? Yeah, it was on Tuesday. Okay, good. That's that's why I've forgotten it then, because uh, I was working on Tuesday night and didn't pay any attention to any of them. Um, Didn't you see Seba celebrating in the group? Yes, I did. That that explains what that was about now. <laughs> I've had deadlines all week. I've managed to catch bits of last night's Libertadores games, which, of course, we'll talk about in a few minutes. But, um, okay, so resting will be slightly better rested because they've had two more days to recover, at least. That, there you go. It still works. Um, all the same, as I said. Vélez are going to be pretty heavy favourites for that one. Um, and the Super Classico, I think, should be pretty good, although I'm not really convinced that either team are going to be as fully concentrated on it as they normally would be, given the lack of seriousness with which this competition deserves to be taken. Um, and, also and the, the fact that... The, the respective clubs' situation in the Libertadores, especially exactly, yeah. uh, Which, again, we'll, we'll talk about in a few minutes' time um, after some theme music in, in the second half of the, uh, of the podcast. Just going back to the weekend just gone, though, were there any matches that you caught as a neutral, i.e. not independiente matches, um, which you would like to uh, fill us in on, Santi, that you, that you want to enthuse about in particular? I think it would be... Um, I think I would like to, to mention San Lorenzo and their total and complete self-destruction in the, in the space of about two months. Yeah, please do. Which it's is... been baffling to watch. I mean, it would be baffling if it weren't San Lorenzo. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, mean, I won't uh, I won't use the word baffling, but uh, but just sad, you know. Uh, I mean, Dabove came with so much uh, promise and such a such a pedigree of uh, actually uh, making uh, Argentino Juniors uh, and Godoy Cruz before them title challenges, mm. and uh, the fact of him, um, the prospect of him arriving at a at a big five club was was really exciting. The thing is, he arrived at San Lorenzo, which is I mean, a wasteland at this point, at this point, uh, with uh, an, a completely absent president, pretty much like Independiente. Um, and just um, no one at the wheel at this point in terms of, you know, transfers. And even even the shining light that was youth development, just uh, uh, it was flushed away with uh, Hugo Tocali's resignation as well as uh, Davoves. But... Uh, yeah, in two months they have been ousted from the the Copa Sudamericana, the Copa Libertadores. Before that, this tournament and the Copa Argentina, which is pretty much astounding, I would say. But uh, but sad anyway, pretty sad. Uh, and especially at the hands of a team that uh, I mean, up to up, to, it was in a pretty similar situation to them as, as it is Racing, which uh, I think PC was. At one point in the season, a defeat away from from getting sacked, and now he got a massive turnaround both in the Libertadores and in, and in the in the Copa de la Liga. But uh, I mean, I don't think it's gonna be. I don't think it's, I don't think it's gonna last too long. But uh, I mean, seeing the two clubs and how their fortunes had been so similar at one point, but then turned so different so quickly, it was. It was really funny, I, I would say. Funny in the sense of curious, not funny as in funny. Yeah. Um, 
the other funny and inverted commas thing about it is that they Racing and San Lorenzo both finished on identical um, points, as, as as we said, and, and with identical records. They both won six, drew three. Yeah, actually, actually, San Lorenzo, San Lorenzo would have qualified as long as Racing didn't beat them by two goals, and that's yeah. exactly what happened, which makes their elimination all the more embarrassing, I would say. Yeah, indeed. I'm just trying to remind myself how late Racing's second goal was. It wasn't very late at all. It was in the first minute of the second half, um, which I guess makes it slightly less heartbreaking. Uh, but it does also mean that San Lorenzo had the whole of the second half to find themselves a goal somehow um, to scrape through. And in fact, they really were all over the last sort of 15, 20 minutes of that match and couldn't find it. Um, the most surprising scoreline, I would say, in spite of those two five nils, both for... Are we going to say the teams who we'd have expected to win? Atletico Tucumán versus Defensa Justicia was... Eh, I mean, given Defensa Justicia's domestic form, um, I wouldn't say that we were expecting a 5-0 maybe, but Atletico Tucumán, I think, went in as... I can't remember what I predicted, of course, but I think Atletico Tucumán went in as favourites for the game. Um, I probably did def- predict a Defensa Justicia win, but you know, he shouldn't listen to me. Um, but the most objectively surprising result of the weekend has to be Platense against Rosario Central. Um, I mean, it was padded by two goals in stoppage time, one of which was a penalty. Um, but even so, uh, Platense 1-0 up through Jorge Pereira Diaz after 13 minutes. Lucas Gamba got an equaliser for Central. Franco Baldassara put um, Platense 2-1 up about 10 minutes into the second half. And Central just couldn't find the equaliser. Um, it, it was just a really good performance from Platense, even if it had just finished 2-1 rather than 4-1, um, they'd have thoroughly deserved the points. Perhaps not, you know, it was one of those games where you look at the stats and it looks like Central are all over it, but they just, they sort of kept them at arm's length um, and then got possibly one goal too many in stoppage time to to make the scoreline look a bit more flattering than it was. But they're going to be fairly happy with with this showing on their return to, you know, this wasn't the league uh, campaign as we keep reminding people but on their return to top flight football um, they can't be too disappointed with four wins out of okay 13 games um, in a competition I mean, that nobody really cares about that much had a worse record than them despite the fact that they're Platense it does, says exactly. a lot yeah I would say and uh, it was a pretty it was a pretty uh I would say I won't say emotional because of course you can't just speak about emotion when there are no fans on the on the pit on the on the ground. But uh, it was a pretty light-hearted, uh, uh, light, heartwarming, I would say, uh, goodbye for for Juan Manuel Liop, the the manager who sent them up. Which, by the way, always reminded me like why was he quitting? Was is he gonna is he gonna take charge of some some other team or is is it just a personal decision why i don't understand why is why is he resigning that's a good point actually i haven't looked into his reasons let's have a look see whether we can find anything i've just put the space in the wrong place in his name which doesn't help when you're googling but um he is leaving i mean i very much doubt to be honest that the article that i have just very quickly googled is going to tell us very much um, 
but let's see whether it does. Am I the only person who thinks he looks a bit like Jorge Sampaoli's dad or something, by the way? He kind of does. Okay, and, um, yeah, I mean, and it makes sense that he looks like his dad because, I mean, he's been hanging around since he promoted Godoy Cruz back in 2006. So, yeah. or even before that. Okay, so the article I've just found says that um, Platense have decided to look for another coach rather than him resigning. Uh, they sort of told him that they'd prefer to look for somebody else and he wasn't uh, against the idea. Well, that sounds um, even weird. Which, I mean, yeah, in a way, I, I would guess that they want to tighten up a little bit because, you know, having said, okay, they managed to win four matches. Sounds good. But A, the decision was taken before they won the fourth match um, when they were only on three wins. And B, they did lose seven. Um, so, I mean, just looking down in... In Group A, Arsenal and Andosibi, who finished below them, lost more matches than them. Uh, they won as many as Godoy Cruz and Central Cordoba. Um, in Group B, Huracan won two matches and finished ninth in the group, <laughs> thanks to thanks to getting seven draws. Um, and Gimnasia only won three, and they finished eighth. Um, Union won the same number as, as Platense. Union won four, but instead of drawing two and losing seven, Union drew seven and lost two. Um, yeah, and, actually, and as a result, were, nearly qualified. Were, yeah, exactly. They were almost there. If, if they'd got a comfortable win in the Classico rather than uh, rather than a draw, uh, then they would have been sneaking into the, the quarterfinal. So I guess I can see loved though shop is obviously going to be um, by Platensis fans and, and rightly so for bringing them back up to the, the top flight. Um I can see why they maybe thought we need to do something here because they need to tighten up a little again. Which team doesn't, which team wouldn't be improved by a better defence? We said it about Aldo Civi earlier as well. Um, but if Platense can turn more of those losses into draws in particular, it could make a very big uh, difference when league football returns and matches start counting towards the relegation table, which is going to be happening Actually, is it going to be happening in the first, second half of this year? I can't remember. I can't remember if uh, it is, matches it? are beginning to come towards relegation now. I have a and feeling they are. We, There's not going to be relegation guess, at the end uh, of this year. But yeah, I think that they're going to count towards the promedios when the promedios are. Uh, yeah, but even 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 having that in mind, I think if you if you had to just draw a, a regular table for for all 26 teams and their campaigns. They'll finish in mid to lower table. They wouldn't be threatened by relegation, I would say. Despite the fact that everyone, of course, expected Platense to finish at last. I think mm. Leop exceeded expectations about Platense. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're third bottom of Group A and their points total was more than Huracan, Patronato, Defensa, Justicia, Sarmiento and Newells from Group B. Um, so in terms of, obviously, again, they haven't played all of the same teams, but... Um, in terms of where they um, finished, bloody hell, Patronato lost nine matches and finished 10th. That's, that's almost impressive. Um, but anyway, yeah, in terms of where they'd be sitting in the league, if this was partway through the season, they'd be you know, looking fairly comfortably. And if they have matches coming up against those teams, they wouldn't be looking at them with too much fear, you wouldn't think, would you? Um, so it's, I don't know, I, I can understand the decision from the club's point of view, but it's a slightly poignant one, let's say. Uh, given his, his place in their recent history. Um, 
Anyway, we're going to take a half-time break now, I think. Oh, yeah, we've been recording for a bit longer than I thought we had. And when we come back, we will talk about the Sudamericana and the Libertadores, and we will answer some listeners' questions. So don't go away. Welcome back. We can give you one uh, continental result, fresh, hot off the press. Vélez Sarsfield 3, Liga Deportiva Universitaria de Quito 1. Uh, that has just happened in Copa Libertadores Group G. I, I think it was Sudamericana, Vélez. Of course it's No, 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 it's Libertadores. Yeah, sorry, sorry, my bad. Yeah, they qualified because of, uh, because of the campaign with Heinze. Yes. Um, yeah, because the Sudamericana was the playoff that they lost to Banfield for next year's Sudamericana. Um, yeah, exactly. The other... Oh, God, I forgot this did it group by group if I went in this way. Anyway, let's have a look and see whether we can pick apart this week's um, Libertadores matches involving Argentine sides. Actually, in a way, they, most of them involve Argentine sides because if they don't actually directly, then they'll be in the same group. So... The strongest two, Barcelona nil, uh, Tachira two, Internacional one, Santos one, Boca nil, Sporting Cristal nil, Racing two, Independiente del Valle nil, Palmeiras one, Union La Calera two, Flamengo two, Argentinos nil, Universidad Católica one. Uh, in a match that was a little more entertaining uh, from the, I was sort of half watching it. Uh, yesterday evening, then that scoreline makes it sound. They they both had a man sent off. Um, Rentistas won, San Paulo ne- uh, won. Deportivo La Guayra nil, Cerro Porteño won. Fluminense two, Independiente Santa Fe won. Atlético Junior won, River won. Universitario won, Defensa y Justicia won. Atlético Nacional nil, Nacional nil. And uh, as I said just now, Vélez 3, Liga de Quito 1. Later tonight, América de Cali host Atlético Mineiro and always ready host Olimpia. Um, what that means for the standings is that currently in Group A, everyone has played four matches. Palmeiras top it with 12 points and therefore have guaranteed not only their spot in the last 16, but also uh, first place in the group. Defensa Justicia are currently second with five points. Independiente del Valle have four and Universitario one. Um, so anybody could still finish in second, third or fourth with six points, yes, um, of that one. In Group B, there are no Argentine sides, but I'll give it to you anyway. Internacional have six points. Always Ready have six points. Tachira have six points. Olympia have three. As I mentioned, of course, always ready host Olympia later in the unlikely event that Olympia managed to get a win at altitude. Um, all four teams will be on six points, which would be fun. Uh, but more likely, always ready will be on nine points with the other two on six just below them. Um, Group C, Barcelona have nine points. Santos and Boca have six. The strongest have three. 
Santos win over Boca last night means that at the moment they are ahead of Boca on goal difference. Uh, oh, they, I mean, they would be on goals scored as well. They've scored six to concede four, whereas Boca scored three and conceded two. Um, so Boca at the moment sitting in the Sudamericana last 16 spot rather than a Libertadores last 16 spot, which after that very promising um, opening day win in La Paz against the strongest is disappointing for them. Uh, although, of course, they've still got a home match against the strongest to come, which might well see them uh, get the position in the group that they're hoping for. Uh, in Group D, Fluminense have eight points. River, who needed a fairly late-ish goal last night away to Junior, have six. Junior, three. And Santa Fe, Independiente Santa Fe, two. Uh, everybody's played four games in that group. Sorry, I've got something in my throat. Give me a second. Let's <coughs> have a glass of water. In Group A, everybody in Group E, sorry, everybody's played four games as well. And San Paulo and Racing both have eight points. Uh, San Paulo currently top it on goal difference. Rentistas have three, and Sporting Cristal have one, uh, which means that. Well, effectively, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that they've guaranteed um, first or second place, but Racing are in a very good position indeed to qualify from that one. In Group F, Argentinos Juniors, I think, if I got this right, they're the only Argentine side who are currently top of their group, which is probably not what we would have predicted at this stage of the group stage, <laughs> um, if you'd asked us before the tournament started. They have nine points from four matches. Universidad Católica have six points from four matches. Atlético Nacional have five points from four matches. And Nacional have two points from four matches. Um, so Argentinos, not quite certain of Libertadores football in the second half of the year, but they are certain of at least Sudamericana football and they're in a very strong position indeed um, to get into the last 16. Uh, group G is topped by Flamengo with 10 points. Beles with the win just now have moved into second on six. Liga de Quito only have four and Union La Calera have two. Um, so Flamengo have, I mean, the goal difference advantage for Flamengo is so big that they've essentially got another point over Liga de Quito there. So they're pretty much guaranteed Libertadores uh, when the group finishes. Their, their goal difference is plus five. Liga de Quito's is minus one. Um, and Group H, Atletico Mineiro, seven points. Cerro Porteño, seven points, but slightly fewer goals. In fact, far fewer goals. Uh, La Guaira, three points. And America de Cali, one point. Um the main talking points from this week, in fact, we've had a listener's question about one of them, which is what happened, or the listener who asked the question clearly knows what happened. Um, he, he was asking why did they carry on? Um, but Santi, can you fill us in on, on what happened last night in um, in Barranquilla, where Junior and Riba got a 1-1 draw, which at one point had to be um, halted due to tear gas? Well, I think that pretty much uh, summarizes the the whole night. But it, I mean, it should summarize the whole night. But so much more happens. I, I I would say it's uh it's actually crazy to to know that this game actually took place despite what was happening uh, outside of uh, of the ground. There were some heavy protests. You know, uh, they. I mean, they are part of um, a whole slew of, uh, of protest- protesting that's going on 
throughout Colombia, which is, of course, uh, related to that um, taxing law uh, that was, of course, uh, pushed back um, eventually, but protests continued, police brutality continued as well. There were uh, there was video footage of actually uh, policemen shooting at the, the protesters, and some of those shots could actually be heard during the the broadcast of the of that river game as well as some some bombs. You could see Gallardo and some other players um, trying to trying to froth their eyes, I would say, because of the because of the tear gas uh, that was being thrown around outside. There was a moment, uh, a really, uh, again, a really surreal and extremely weird moment where uh, before the game, the Gajardo and, and his, uh, and his well, the whole team actually were actually warming up before the game and they had to go inside because of, because of the tear gas, they couldn't play back then. And then the the mayor of Barranquilla was uh, speaking to a radio radio station. I don't know exactly which one, but he said that at one point Gallardo suggested playing reggaeton on loudspeakers to the protesters in an attempt to calm them down, which of course, as we now know, was really unsuccessful. But uh, I think overall, all, while that was happening outside the stadium, I think that's really impacted what was going on inside. Uh, a lot of players lost a lot of focus. I mean, of course they would, because I mean the world I, I say was was going on outside. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it's it's crazy that this game took place at all because everyone knew that this was going to happen. The there had been a lot of uh, pushback towards this game being played and being held. In Barranquilla, um, and even the the protesters in Colombia did their best to to postpone the game or at least move it away from Barranquilla. Eventually, they failed. Uh, but I think I, I wouldn't consider this a win for Comebol. I would say it's it's on the contrary. Considering this and what happened to Nacional, who had their game postponed to to be played at uh, 12 a.m. local time. In Colombia, in I think in Medellin as well, um, and because of uh, of the inability from the players to leave the hotel because of the protests, I mean, it's been it wasn't enough with COVID and everything that uh, comes with COVID, and now we have this as well. I mean, it's crazy that these games are still taking place. It's, I mean. When you think Gomez can't go any lower, they keep they keep pushing themselves and they keep op- uh, they keep outdoing themselves. It's cre- it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, I was um, I was really surprised that it. I mean, you know, we we know about Gomez, right? So I wasn't surprised that it was played, but I was quite surprised that it was played in Colombia, given that just last week the Colombian teams all had to play their home games in Paraguay. Um, I just sort of assumed that that was going to be happening for the duration. I didn't realise they would, they'd just done it for one week. I mean, if it's a safety uh, measure on Conmeval's part, then, you know, it, it obviously doesn't work. It's ridiculous what the, the unrest and, and the situation that's happening there isn't going to be cleared up from one week to the next. Um, so I didn't really, I mean, I, I didn't clock that it, wasn't being played in Paraguay until I was watching on on mute, by the way, as I normally do with football these days. Um, and so I didn't really clock where it was being played until there was a pause and I put the sound on to 
find out what was going on. Um, yeah, it, it was a just a really strange situation and, and obviously shouldn't have been uh, played. You know, the fixture lists for all of the Colombian sides should be um, being rearranged or, or something like that because it doesn't only affect... I mean, obviously it affects the away teams, but it affects the Colombian teams as well. They're having to play in the middle of their country um, going through all of this and, and it's not good for anybody. Um, anyway... The other. I mean, it's good. I don't think it's even good for the quality of football. I mean, the even the defense of their taking care of the product and trying to just act as normal as possible, thinking that it won't affect what is actually going on on the pitch. I think it's a it's really fallacious argument because yeah, yeah, um, it it's not happening. Players are not concentrated. They are also tired of playing games all the time, every single week, twice a week. And uh, having their, their schedules changed and rearranged every time, and uh, going through the stuff that uh, Andrada and the Independiente players and the Nacional players are, are going through, it's it's unsustainable at this point. Something has to be done, but uh, of course, nothing is going to be done because Comebol. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is that if any confederation knows about rearranging fixtures at short notice and needing to find ways around this kind of thing, then it should be Conmebol. Um, and they should be fairly used to doing it with the Libertadores. You know, I mean, one of the reasons um, that we talked a few years ago about potentially the Libertadores getting a little bit better um, in terms of the level of football on display was they used to try to play the entire thing in six months. So now they've got a whole calendar year to fit into it. You would think they could have gone, you know what, these three matches, maybe we'll play them in a couple of weeks' time or maybe we'll find an alternative venue for them and we won't insist on playing them bang on schedule um it just seems like a very a rather short-sighted um measure to have taken as you say even just from a footballing point of view and before you even consider the the human aspect of of what you're putting the the players and the coaches um through and of the fact that you're pretending as an international organization whether sporting or otherwise that nothing's going on and that everything's you know Nothing to see here. Everything's fine in the country um, where where these matches are being played. That's an issue, of course, that's also going to be the case uh, next month when the Copa America kicks off because at the moment, Tom Mobile is still insisting that that tournament is going to be taking place, well, half in Colombia um, in the middle well, of the this, pandemic uh, and in the middle of all this social unrest. This rumour that the plan B is that uh, Argentina hosts the whole thing but the the I mean, they're leaving it bloody late if if that's the idea. Yeah, the thing is that the health authorities um, insist on the fact that if the Copa America is being held in Argentina, it will be held without any fans present. So that would render the entire concept of a Copa America completely unsustainable and pointless. So, but is, are there going to be fans? Are there going to be fans in Colombia for the games there? I'm not sure. I only know what uh, what Carla Bisotti, the Minister of uh, Health of Argentina, said. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm just assuming that there aren't going to be fans at any... I know they, they were talking, you know, in November of maybe letting fans in for the final um, if everybody was vaccinated, but that's obviously not happening. Um, so I've been assuming that the whole tournament's going to be behind closed doors, just like all the other football we've been watching for the last nearly a year now. 
yeah, um, but for for an international tournament uh, like the Copa America with so much at stake, I think economic economically, mm. it doesn't make a lot of sense to 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 hold it uh, to host it uh, behind closed doors because it's not a a regular you know the 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 income has not exactly been. Um, already set like it happens in a, in a league tournament. Oh, no, I get that. But I mean, when they started talking about letting fans in for certain matches or for the final or whatever, they were obviously expecting vaccinations to be further along than they are. Um, at least in Argentina, you know, when the health authorities here started talking about it. Um, and nobody was realising quite how long the the AstraZeneca situation in particular was going to, uh, to carry on for um, listeners in Europe and the United States will be thrilled to hear that uh, if you think you've got issues with this stuff, then down here in the global South, they're even worse. Um, anyway, other results. Uh, Santos got that one nil win over Boca uh, just last night, which as I said, kind of complicates Boca's situation. It, it was, it was a game that Boca will probably feel they should have got, something from you would think but Santos goal fairly late in the first half um, turned out to be the only one of the game and it puts them for now in the driving seat I'm just trying to find the uh, which matches Bok have still got to come as I said already they they're at home to um, to the strongest the next game oh they've got two home games to come in fact against Barcelona and the strongest Barcelona is one week tonight by the look of it and the strongest is What's that going to be the Wednesday following? Um, so two home matches is is you know a better situation than than they might have been in uh, in terms of securing qualification. But they've still got to hope that Santos um, end up dropping some points as well. And Santos have got oh okay, Santos might well drop points. They're away to the strongest and away to Barcelona, um, so. It's not over yet for Boca. They're not as comfortable as they would have liked to be after four matches. I think it's two wins and two draws, actually. Um, but uh, they'll be, I would think, sort of quietly optimistic that things will come right for them, right? Santi doesn't have anything to say about that one. So... Um... <laughs> you've explained... Uh, I mean, you've, you've summed it up quite nicely, so I, I really had nothing to add other than what you said. I'm just trying to look at Racing's uh, remaining matches now as well. Racing are going to be away to San Paulo uh, and then at home to Rentistas, who, apart from this rather surprising draw... Yeah, I think if, if, if Rentistas uh, get a win uh, from their own game and, uh, well, what is, what is expected to happen happens, which I think is San Paulo beating Racing, then Racing is going to have a bit of a scare. Um, they will need to beat Rendices with they should do, but uh, yeah, they're gonna have a a little bit of a scare to to the final rundown of, of games. In the, yeah, in the, that's what I predicted at the very least. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. I mean, Rentistas when they so Rentistas are going to be away to Sporting Cristal when Racing are away to São Paulo. I did say away, didn't I? Um, in Montevideo, which is where Rentistas are from, if you're um wondering because you've never heard of them before I don't, don't blame you it's a magnificent name for a football club though um when they played in Montevideo they drew nil nil with Sporting Cristal so I wouldn't say that a win in Lima is necessarily nailed on but certainly Sporting Cristal have been the worst team in that group um 
so it's not out of the question either. And yeah, I guess we're really going to be hoping that that's, as you say, Rentistas getting the win, San Paolo beating Racing, and, and that still leaves Racing with a three-point cushion. Oh, no, it doesn't, sorry. It leaves them with a two-point cushion. Um, and per- perhaps injects a little bit of drama into it, but more seriously, um, Racing are, are almost definitely through there. I, I still think that San Paolo have got to be heavy favourites to win the group, though. Um, given that they've got Racing at home rather than in the Cilindro and uh, just seem to have a little bit more about them. Um, but there's not an awful lot in it. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see to see Racing win the group and, and San Paolo, perhaps a little bit of squeaky bum time. Um, but what about Argentinos? Even after that reversal against Universidad Católica, I mean, if they won that match, then they'd, they'd be home and dry already. Um, they're doing fantastically. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people expected uh, Argentinos to, to do this good under a manager like Milito, who, was, who doesn't exactly have the best track record, let's say, uh, not just in Argentina, but also in Chile. Uh, but uh, I really welcome that, uh, actually. Uh, I thought Argentinos would struggle uh, from the the fallout of uh, Davos. Uh, transfer to San Lorenzo, I think, but uh, Milito has really built a, a very good team that actually um, scores the chances he creates, which is probably the the most uh, recurring theme of Milito's teams, how wasteful they are both in passing and actually shooting. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I welcome that. Um, it's I think it's good for. For Argentine football in general, to have a to have a team that uh, are doing so well outside of the big five, yeah, they started off with the two 0 win at home to Nacional um, in the opening week of the group stage, which perhaps wasn't that surprising. But then they they got a two 0 win away to Universidad Católica and a two 0 win last week in Paraguay against Atlético Nacional um, before this uh, this result last night against Universidad Católica. But I mean. They're looking good. They're at home to Atletico Nacional next week. And then they're away to Nacional, who are... I mean, are they out already? I've forgotten already. Uh, they're not quite out, but they probably will be by the time that match gets played. Um, the week after that. So it's very much um, up for grabs. They need... I mean, I think if they get a draw in the next match, it won't quite mathematically seal it, but it will almost... It should be enough. They, you know, With one point from the remaining six... Uh, that they've got to play for that should do it uh, and you'd expect them to pick that up they, they, they should be okay um, very quickly now Sudamericana uh, we went through the group stages as, as they were last week and I'm just wondering whether we've had any particularly notable results this week uh, Gremio have beaten Lanús 3-1 that was a little bit earlier this evening um, what else have we got I'm seeing most of these ones for the first time uh, Rosario Central played San Lorenzo in Bajo Flores yesterday. Yeah, that's when San Lorenzo, San Lorenzo were effectively eliminated from everything they had been playing for. Mm, of course, yes, you mentioned it in passing, didn't you, earlier? Uh, Central got the 2-1 win there. Arsenal got a 0-0 draw away to Serra. Um, Tacheres got a 0-0 draw at home to Tolima. Independiente drew 1-1 away to Montevideo City Torque, or Torque, as I believe they're officially called, um, but Manchester City's uh, feeder club there, which still means, I think, no Argentine sides 
in the qualification spots because, of course, only the top team from each group is going to continue. Um, well, of course, in the Bainte, we're uh, at the top of the group for the whole of the of the campaign until tonight. Yes. Since, uh, well, Bahia actually got the 1-0 win against Guavira and uh, pipped them over on goal difference. Yeah, nine, nine, both have scored nine goals, but Bahia have, scored, have conceded three and Independiente have conceded five. Um, in Group A, it's Huachipato top. Central are only a point behind them, though. These are all after four matches. Um, group B, we just told you about, that's the Bahia Independiente group. In Group C, Arsenal are only a point behind Serra. They're also only a point behind Bolívar, though. Uh, Serra top on goal difference ahead of Bolívar. Uh, so all to play for there. Uh, in Group F, uh, Newells, we haven't talked about because they haven't played this week yet. Um, Newells have four points. If they win against Libertad, they will go to seven and they will be one point behind Atletico Guayanense still. Um, in Group G, Tachera is a two points off the pace. Emelec are the team who are top of that one. And in Group H, um, Oh, Gremio are pretty much through in Group H. Uh, they've got 12 points from four matches, so they've won all four of them. La Equidad yeah, and La Nuz both have seem to be six officially, almost officially qualified. Yeah, uh, they just need one more point. And, I mean, obviously, huge goal difference advantage as well. They have a goal difference of plus 12. La Equidad's goal difference is zero, and La Nuz's is minus one. So Gremio, not yet official, but basically... In effect, Gremio are the first team in the Copa Sudamericana last 16. Um, Lister's questions. We have had a few. And they begin with David Novashevsky asking, is Kili Gonzalez related to Hugh Jackman? Hmm. I think the, the thing is his size. Maybe that's the, the thing that throws them away. Yes, he's a little bit uh, not quite as well built isn't he um, Perfect Tommy says why on earth did the Junior v River match play on on yesterday in Barranquilla we've answered that one already um, and Marina Paula says terrible today will be Atletico versus America de Cali um, and yep I mean as we've already said agreed oh those are all the questions <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was quick. Uh, one listener mentioned that they were listening back through the archives and heard me saying quata in a slightly funny way and thought it was stereotypically English. But um, I actually pronounced it that way because my uh, when I was at uni, I had a friend who was born there and she told me that that was how it was pronounced. I think most, most English people just call it cutter, I think, as if it was a hard K. But anyway, um, shall I do Mystic Sam for this weekend? May as well. There are only four matches. So here is some mystical theme music. When you come back, I'll tell you what's going to happen in the matches that, as I've already explained, I will mostly not be watching. Okay, then, this week's matches are Estudiantes versus Independiente. I think that one's going to go to penalties. And I think that it's going to be won by Estudiantes. I think that Colón versus Tacheres is going to be a win for Colón. I think that Vélez versus Racing is going to be a win for Ra- uh, sorry for Vélez. Uh, both of those in 90 minutes. And Boca versus River. I'm going to go for a 
I'm going to go for a river win, I think, in 90 minutes. Uh, Santi, any thoughts? It's really bold for me to, to bet against uh, such a penalty expert like uh, Sebastian Sosa um, in a game that should go to penalties, as if you say so. Yeah, it's possible but... I didn't think that one through very much. <laughs> I mean, if, if you were talking about a 90-minute game, yeah, I would say three and are heavy favourites, but if you say um, that they could go to penalties, then 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 it, it blows wide open because of uh, Sosa's ability in penalties. Okay, so you're going for Independiente to put Estudiantes out on penalties. No, uh. <laughs> I, I think Estudiantes will win it, will win it in, in 90 minutes. But uh, but if, if in the case that they would go to penalties, which I think that's precisely what Independiente will strive for, knowing them, knowing Falcioni, then I fancy a little bit better the chances to go through. Hmm. It's going to be interesting to see, because obviously with all of the attention being on the group winners, on, on Colón and Vélez, um, and on Boca and Riva, naturally, because the attention's always on them. Um, and, you know, we've talked as well about how out of sorts Racing have looked, how we have not really talked about them, but Tacheres haven't looked like any great shapes. Shakes. Um, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how much stronger Colón and Vélez are than these teams from the opposite groups who they've not really come into any contact with for several months. Um, whether it's a bit of an illusion and actually things turn out to be rather more evenly matched. But I suspect, at least, um, that Colón versus Tacheres and Vélez versus Racing could get slightly one-sided. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, that's the joy of knockout football. Anyway, for now, thank you very much indeed for listening for another week. Um, and uh, that's it. We will probably be back. I don't know whether next week or whether we'll review the quarters and the semifinals all together in a couple of weeks' time. Um, we shall see. But for now, thanks very much for listening and goodbye from Santi. See you around. And from me, thank you and goodbye.